Dear listeners, did you know that we're facing a poll worker shortage and the election is fast approaching on November 3rd? The usual poll worker is over the age of 60 and they are not showing up because of COVID. This will cause longer lines at voting locations. Many can't afford to wait for hours, especially in BIPOC communities. And some polling places can close altogether. The good news is, by going to powerthepolls.org, you can sign up to become a poll worker. You can be as young as 16 to be a poll worker, and in most states, this work is paid. You may be wondering, what does a poll worker do? Here's a scoop. There are many kinds of jobs for poll workers to do, including helping voters maintain physical distance in lines, wiping down machines and equipment, helping voters check in, understand their ballots, and cast their vote. With absentee and mail voting, poll workers also help open and count mail ballots. If you personally cannot be a poll worker, you can help recruit. Go to powerthepolls.org for more information. Hi, I'm Karen Sanchez, and you're listening to Data, De Aquí y De Allá, a weekly podcast where individuals championing our communities become a collective of healing through storytelling, a true team effort. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll continue to tune in. Today's guest over at Data is kind of a big deal. She is my really good pal, Miss Katitha Claude Geraldine Olenge, MD. And she is currently a Stanford psychiatry resident, founder of Developing Doc. Her pronouns are she, her, and hers. And a little backstory on how we met. Um, she actually used to live here in Southern California back when she was attending USC med school. And we bumped into each other in the neighborhood while walking our pups. And I saw her a mile away with her beautiful aura. And I knew I had to friend her immediately. Immediately. Um, so without further ado, Miss Katitha, welcome to Data. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be on Team Data. I'm, I'm just so excited to be here and talk about my favorite topics, mental health. <laughs> just a little light topic. No big deal. Yeah. We'll get through it. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so the reason I created Data because is because I want individuals such as yourself to share with us their journey of how they got to mm-hmm. where they are today. Um, and I know you've been very adamant about doing self-work as well as work in the community. So if you would please pleasure us with your story, we will be all ears and share us with uh, your knowledge and your history. Your history. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm so happy to share my story. And it's so funny, like in in a career in medicine, by the time you go through like all the interviews and the interview seasons, you you kind of get used to sharing with yourself, or at least me, I wanted to be authentic in my interview seasons. And so I will say medical school and going through it actually kind of helped me be even more introspective at, at the application times. But so um, I was born in Texas um, to Marie Kambu and um, Innocent Olenge, my parents, they're from West Africa and um, French speaking. And from a young age, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I was born with a congenital heart defect, pretty much a heart rhythm issue, um, which progressively got worse. And by the age of nine, I needed a pacemaker. Everyone has a pacemaker, but I have a little art- an artificial device in me that really helps my heart beat on time. And I just had the most wonderful, wonderful physicians that really made me feel, um, I want to just say like smart and like I could understand what was going on with my body and 
that really stuck with me. And so I loved science and math from a young age, but I also loved this like people profession. Um, and then at the same time, I found myself learning how to code and program and like getting really interested in technology. I had this new device in me. Um, so I kind of fiercely from the age of like 9, 10, knew I wanted to be a physician and be in science and tech. That was for sure. And so I kind of went through life knowing that those were my goals and kind of rejecting everything along the way that didn't allow me to be those things and looking for people that kind of brought me up. And looking back, mental health was such an important part of my journey and like accepting myself because living in Texas as a Black woman or Black girl, you know, there's just... There's so many things that came up about race that I didn't really know how to deal with, but I just knew that I wanted to like love myself. Um, And I got, you know, pretty far just kind of, um, you know, enjoying school, enjoying uh, computer science AP classes in high school. I did theater and really got to just be myself. Um, But when I got to college, I had to make a decision, you know, what are you going to major in? I, I wanted to do medicine, but I really loved programming. So I decided to major in computer science and continue to um, go on the path of becoming a physician. But interestingly enough, I went to the wellness center because, you know, I have this heart issue and I was saying, okay, I need to be plugged in. They need to know that I have a pacemaker just in case anything happens to me in this wild, in these wild streets of SMU. Yeah. in Highland Park, um, hugely affluent um, neighborhood, predominantly white institution. I just, you know, I like to be safe and find my doctors. And there was a sign at the wellness center that said free therapy. And I'm telling you, you know, this is not a story of being dragged to therapy because there was something like someone told me I needed to go or feeling really depressed and needing to talk about things, which are, of course, wonderful indications for people to start therapy. But it really was just a free thing that was offered to me. So lo and behold, my entire college career, I went to therapy once a week. And it came at such an important time because before I was living with my parents and like in in the neighborhood and had friends that knew my parents and I knew their parents and kind of able to get through some of the tougher parts of life as a kid. But when you go to college and all of a sudden you're around what college is these days, it's like extreme rape culture. Like, let's be honest, like it's just people are fending for themselves. People are trying different things and it's not the safest place. Um, And I just was able to like analyze my interpersonal relationships and how I felt about people and how I felt unsafe and how my identity as a black woman was coming up more and more and more than it ever had before. And I just had this place to go every week and talk about it. And it really helped me stay sane. And it helped me realize what I like to do. And, you know, I didn't like to be around the pre-meds who are like extremely neurotic like I am, you know, type A. I like to be in the engineering hall making things. And I was able to continue to fiercely be myself and do my own thing. And even when I would get questions of like, where is this going? What are you going to do with this? Oh, health and tech, those go together. Like, what are you going to do? I was like, it's going to work out. Like, I'm doing what I want to do. and. That's kind of led me to, you know, when medical school came around, everyone really loved it and loved me being who I was. And it seemed like I was this breath of fresh air. And I didn't really realize that that's not the norm 
in, especially in the medical profession, the norm is to kind of put yourself in a box and fix all the check. I think we see this in a lot of different industries, but it's, it's how can I be what I need to be to succeed? And being really introspective and working on myself and, and really paying attention to what felt right and what didn't feel right is what led me to just be I'm not like, you know, like 100% happy doing well. I mean, this is 2020. There are a lot of things going on right now that can, you know, that affect um, my mental health on a daily basis, but I was able to be myself and be happy with that. So my journey is one of a lot of exams, a lot of studying, but a lot of just kind of fighting for myself, even if that kind of meant against my family sometimes, or even if that meant against my friends. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And a yeah. question for you in terms of the the therapist that you went to go see, because it mm-hmm. just so happened that there was a sign. Was <laughs> yeah. this therapist by chance a BIPOC, a black or indigenous person of color? No. I I am interestingly so my last therapist was a Hispanic male, but notoriously my therapist now, who's a psychoanalyst, a psychiatrist, is a white male. And my first therapist was a white male. Mm. And I, you know, I have different opinions on that. Like some people really feel like it's important to have someone, you know, BIPOC or, you know, someone of color. And they feel like that's a need to be seen. I think, I don't know, for me, it just was another place where I could just come and be myself and not feel any like pushback from this therapist. Like it was my session. And yeah. I got to kind of grow in my power in that. And I don't know, we just always had great conversation that made me think more. So in therapy, like I kind of like, I have some different opinions on how to find a good therapist, but I think it's, you know, therapy, it really is what you bring to it. I know there are different types of therapists, but that's kind of a controversial yeah. opinion I have. So interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely um, am surprised by that. Because for me, my first two therapists were actually two Jewish women. And for the first one, um, she came at a time where I thought, okay, I'm ready to speak to a professional about these issues and Mm -hmm. have them help me untangle all these different thoughts and make sense of them um unfortunately her her sessions were two hundred dollars per session and i think i ended up going maybe four or five times and i mentioned this to her i was like hey you know i i enjoy these sessions however it's just not fitting my my budget at the time i was in school and i was working full time and she suggested that i see um the woman she was mentoring which the first time we met um it didn't quite click Mm-hmm. Um, but then turns out that this, my original therapist had this group session, like uh, it was called find your superpower for women. Amazing. And, and yeah. And then, um, the woman she was mentoring was in that same, um, little program and I got to know her better. So I got more comfortable with her and then I started seeing her actually for seven years. Um, and, and she was great, but, but in terms of her not being a BIPOC, although she was a Jewish woman, um, we tended to hit certain walls because mm-hmm. there were times where I would have to explain certain like cultural nuances. And I felt like that took yeah. time away from my session. And then also another wall we would hit is that every now and again, she would refer to a certain issue having to do with me being an immigrant. And I was like, it doesn't have anything to do with that. So I did end up eventually seeing um someone else. 
one of the very important things that I want you to speak on today is definitely um, letting individuals know who aren't familiar with what therapy is to let them know that there's actually different types of therapy because the way I was introduced to it was through television and TV just says, you go into this office, you tell this person their pro- um, your problems and they're going to ask you, how does that make you feel? And that's yep. what I thought it was going to be. And then I went into it with three different therapists at this point in my life. I've seen three different people and it's been different with each one. Mm-hmm. So if you would please take the floor and explain to us novices what the yes. different options um, there are. Yeah, there's so many different types of therapy. And I think exactly what you said that type of therapy that people really think about with the couch as a very Freudian um, sit on the couch, free association, just kind of saying whatever comes up to your mind. And then by doing so, you will be able to uncover the things of your past that are affecting you today. And that is one type of therapy called psychodynamic therapy. And psychodynamic therapy is a type of talk therapy that, like I said, really focuses on like what's happening in your, what happened in your past and what kind of things are made you into the person that you are and how can your understanding of those things help you kind of tackle what's to come and how, how do they inform how you think, which I think is a really great type of therapy because a lot of us have experiences, you know, like, like I said, I start, I knew what I wanted from a young age, but regardless of knowing what I wanted or not knowing what I wanted, so many things at the beginning of my life were formative. So many things like the amount, you know, things that happened in my family. So, and different, you know, different experiences I had being called Oreo as a kid, like in elementary school and having to just like deal with that kind of microaggression, but also like still loving my friends. So in psychodynamic therapy, that's something that you kind of focus on those feelings that came up and what does that mean? Um, But then there's a really popular type of therapy, which is therapy that I started with and called is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And this is all about three different things, your thoughts, your feelings, and behaviors, and really identifying them and how they're, how they're connected. So you're feeling, a feeling is like an anxious or sadness. Your thought is, I'm not supposed to be here. I don't belong in this place. And your behavior is not leaving your house or only mm-hmm. hanging around certain type of people. And yeah. all of those things can happen. But the question is, when you look at them, you can start to see how they're connected and what might not be serving you. And this type of therapy for me was excellent in college. Like it it seems to be like the most straightforward, like this is, you know, you can literally make a graph, your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and decide, well, I'm kind of like letting my thoughts run everything. And my thought that this is going to be a bad situation makes me anxious. And then I don't go. You know, and what about if I just allow myself to be, what if I just go? What if I just behave in the way and kind of be aware of my thoughts, but like realize that they're, they're, they're kind of anxious thoughts. So that's cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think that's a really popular model. And it's kind of, it's really nice to just be able to break some negative thought patterns, which I think a lot of people, a lot of us have are just negative thought patterns especially with the type of society that we live in where like, you know, media and stuff is just kind of sending all of these messages. It's hard not to kind of, you know, have these negative thought patterns. And then you have um, a humanistic um, type of therapy, which kind of looks at you more, not just the things that happen to you, but you as a whole person, which I feel like is really great 
especially for BIPOC and people from different cultures and just kind of looking at the whole person and who you are and people are complex, right? Like sometimes it's not as easy to break it down as like your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. It seems like there's more than that, right? There's, there's a cultural aspect. There are other things at play or maybe even not at play, but because of who you are, they're affecting how people see you. And so it's more of a humanist approach to therapy. And you don't really see that that often, um, honestly. Um, And then there's something called dialectical behavior therapy. And these four that I'm going over are the traditional types of therapy. So I said cognitive behavioral therapy, psychodynamic, um, humanistic, and then you have dialectical. Dialectical is super interesting and it's used for people. It was designed for people with borderline personality disorder. Hmm. And do you, do you know much about borderline? I'm not familiar with it, but what okay. I do know is that the therapy I needed, unfortunately, wasn't covered by my insurance because oh it wasn't gosh. a severe illness. It was more for, you know, quote unquote funsies, I guess. I don't know. They, they just yeah. didn't consider it serious enough that it needs to be covered. So to date, I've always paid out of pocket for therapy and I just made peace with that. I was like, okay, like, you know, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And that I... I really have a hard time with because just like with preventative medicine for other types of health, Mm -hmm. I think mental health should also be preventative because I felt like that's the reason I was going. I was like, before the ish hits the fan, I want to make sure that I can sort this out by myself before I like, you know, really just go down the rabbit hole, like the dark place. Yeah, that's that's the way that I that's kind of how I approached it. Like in college, like you said, ish hadn't hit the fan yet, but there were things coming up that could really pile on you know it's yeah it's it's like yeah that's so oh my god don't even get me started about insurance and access to therapy which is now there's a lot of great options with telehealth um and you know better talk and i I have some you know things that i'll I'll talk about there but dialectical behavior therapy is borderline personality disorder is um a personality disorder dealing with people who have like extreme emotional dysregulation and are prone to self-harm. Mm. Um, so, you know, people that are really up and down and, you know, might have really tumultuous relationships. And a lot of people actually struggle with this and find a little bit sense of relief when they hear the words borderline and actually read the criteria because it can be really hard to deal with a life of like continuous self-harm and you feel like things are up and down. And you have all these tumultuous relationships and you feel like really insane. And this behavior, dialectical, it's the idea of two truths existing. So you can, it works with, um, you work on mood regulation, mindfulness, like really great tools. So it can be used for a lot of different people, but it's it's accepting who you are, but also accepting that other people have experiences too. And I, I really love that because I think taking a dialectical approach to life is really helpful. Otherwise, we're kind of always in this right or wrong state. And I feel Absolutely. like therapy really needs to let help you move into acceptance of like, I'm hurt by this friendship or this friend doesn't understand me or I don't feel good about it. But this friend might have different needs based off who she is. And that's okay. And, you know, it, it's just that acceptance of two truths being okay. And because sometimes when it's one or the other, it kind of does feel like 
well, then I'm a terrible book. Either she's right and I'm a terrible person. And, you know, now I want to harm myself or I'm right. And like, this is a terrible, you know, so it's kind of like the world doesn't really work that way. So that's an yeah. interesting type of therapy that I think is, is, is super helpful. And then Karen, I mean, you get into like all the different other types. There's, um, have you heard of EMD, EMDR? Actually, I have. And I think that's why I wanted to bring it up because they started going into details of the different types of therapy. And I didn't know what type of therapy I was going into, nor did I ask my therapist what they offered. And that was also, I mean, you don't know, we don't know, right? So you can't even ask the questions that you should be asking if you don't know what to ask. So Mm -hmm. would you please go into detail about what this means? Yeah, let's get into the fun ones because we went through talk therapy and it's like same old, same old. But I mean, couples therapy, you have oh. interpersonal therapy, looking at like who you are in relation to other people. That's really great for people with eating disorders and like um, uh-huh. some of the, just depression. You have mindfulness, um, which is a, is a therapy. And then you have EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization. Um, repetition, (laughs) sorry, such a long word. And it's actually stimulation of the brain that stimulates eye movement that allows you to get past trauma. It's, it's, it's so interesting. You sit in these sessions and they, they get your eyes to move in a certain way while you're thinking of, or like, you know, processing trauma and people are able to get past these terrible experiences they've had. Wow. You know, it, it's, it's been really helpful. And I mean, trauma is tough. <laughs> Not to simplify it, but would yeah. this at all have to do with the way the hypnosis work with uh, people who smoke cigarettes? Because they are also using the eye movement to mm-hmm. hypnotize people into like stop smoking is what I really heard it got popular in. But I wonder if it's like the same idea. Yeah, it's some it's some brain stimulation that kind of lets you like unlock certain things. I actually haven't mm. read this book, um, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's a trauma, it's a trauma book, oh. and it's all about how your body holds in trauma in different places. I'm gonna um, have to pick that up. Yeah, yeah, it's a really great text. And I ha- I haven't made it all the way through, but it's kind of like that's just kind of how I think of like when it comes to eye movements and the stimulation of that, it's it's just it's, it just shows you how connected our body is and our eyes are, are windows into our brain. Like looking through, looking through your eye, I can see yeah. your brain. So, you know, that, that, the body that is score. That's so interesting. You said that because that's one of the reasons why I really loved the name data for this project, because we that. are, we are, I love that. It sounds like data because I think of yes. us as data. I mean, Clearly, we're humans with emotions and all these other complexities. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, we're collecting all these different things, emotions, information, and we're processing it whether we realize it or not. So I think that's yeah. so interesting. I'm definitely going to have to pick this up. I'm very excited. Yeah. <laughs> and I would really say there's also a therapy I didn't talk about that's called supportive uh, psychotherapy. There's also life coaching. And these therapies really like that your therapist will support you in, in doing something that's hard for you to do. And I really like this type of therapy because sometimes what people need is just like a a good home, like a nice place to be, a place where they feel safe, you know, especially if there's some like trauma in your past. For me, where I live has always been the utmost important and like who is in that space and, you know, having dogs like they just I don't know. There's just something about 
having your own space where you can feel good that I think is one of the first steps of healing and and recovery of any type of trauma or any depression or anxiety is just feeling safe. And with life coaching and supportive psychotherapy, you can kind of be coached into like, how do I decorate my room to feel better for me? You know, what is that moving my bed to one place to another so that the sun wakes me up in this way? Sometimes it's like therapy could just help you in like solving those little things that may not be so intuitive. Taking care of yourself is hard, especially when you have so many other things. It's full time job. (laughs) It really is. And people tend to forget and think things are just going to fall into place. And you actually have to do the work, like capital W work. Work. Yeah. Yeah. When you're looking for a therapist or a coach or someone who's going to help you get through something, you need to test them out, right? And that's what I loved about what you said earlier of trying this woman out, trying this other Jewish woman out, feeling like it didn't really maybe fit, and then kind of moving on. But I love that you tried because you never know what's yeah. going to work. If and I, I say that in- too. Yeah. yeah. And I say to, to anyone who's never been in therapy, that's what I tell them. It's just like anything else, just like dating. You know, the first person isn't going to be the one you're in love with. It mm-hmm. might take a second person or a third or a fourth. And then also be more informed in the type of therapy that is going to work for you, too, because one person might be doing one type of therapy that's not necessarily going to benefit your needs, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah. 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 And life is this odd balance of like trusting yourself and your intuition, especially as women, we just have so much power. (laughs) Like we could do a whole podcast on just like our intuition, you know? And I feel like it's a balance of trusting your inner gut, but also allowing yourself to see what could be an unknown or on the other side and unlocking other parts of yourself. And I feel like with mental health, it's that delicate balance of like, how much do I trust this feeling of anxiety or an unease? And how much do I just push past it to see what's on the other side and, and, and allow yourself to grow and evolve and not to just stay the same person? Developing is such an important part of life. And I thought I knew everything at 16. I was a bad, bad, bad. Oh, man, me too. I was, but the I older I get, girl. I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> So like, that's why therapy is so nice because it's ongoing. Like you can never look at these things like, oh, I'm getting this now. I'm going to do this for X amount of time and then it's going to be over. No, development, we're going to, you're going to be growing and, and learning new things about yourself until the day that you die. Like it just is what it is. So you really have to like accept and be along for the process. Um, it's really important. I love that you said that. Yeah, because a lot of it is that gut feeling. And although I didn't have the knowledge at the time of what to look for, my gut was like, it's okay. This person isn't right for us to try some someone else. Because like you said mm-hmm. earlier, in your gut, you knew that tech and medicine made sense. You're like, mm-hmm. you don't see it, but my gut sees it. And I know it in my heart of hearts that this is going to be the thing. This is going to be my jam. And we yeah. just have to trust that gut as powerful women that we are. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that's really important, too, is knowing the difference between therapy and healing, because I keep hearing the word healing and I use it myself. And I would just wonder Mm -hmm. what your take on that is. It's it's almost like therapy can be an avenue through which you heal. But healing is a very delicate. Important process that can if you don't heal it can impede your ability to move forward 
And I think when you feel stuck and you feel that gut feeling of like things are not changing or like, I'm just not liking where I am, then it's time to heal. And healing is tricky because it can't just, you need to feel safe to heal. And something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is healing in integrated spaces. Like at the time where we are right now, it is important, especially members of my community, the Black community, to heal together with no one else around. Like I'm just a huge proponent of that because- 100% agree. Yeah, because you could work through things out with a therapist that doesn't look like you or maybe, you know, like you could talk some things out and maybe get some strategies, get your toolbox fixed up. But if you have deep wounds that I think a lot of us are dealing with, you know, like deep wounds of, or, and like just feeling a little bit broken or, you know, like with with what we're seeing today and we've been seeing, like Black Lives Matter is like, you have to look at those words. Like we... People in my community don't feel like they matter. We need to heal from that. And it's really hard to heal from that in the same society that's delivering that message. And so you almost have to like create these different um, settings to which you can heal. And I didn't know anything about this until med school. I was invited to what they call an emotional emancipation circle. And huh. it's through Community Healing Network. Um, I'll provide you the link. And it's, it is a space for Black folks only, where you pretty much reject the lie of Black superiority and um, and the lie of Black inferiority. And you do that by connecting mm-hmm. to your culture. We talk about things in the African culture, like libations. Why do we pour one out? What does that mean? It's mm-hmm. all about the life circle. And there's just so many beautiful things in all of our cultures that in a space like that, I was able to reconnect to. And you know, there's also like, there's such a, a um, we don't talk about this this much, but there's a separation between the Black and the African community. And I've had conversations with people who are like, why do you call yourself Black? You're African. You know, um, why do you call yourself the thing that is seen as less than? And I'm like, I'm, I don't know, but in these healing spaces where we're all sitting around and we all have different shades of melanin, we're able to just like connect and to, you know, and, and really I felt healed every time I left those sessions. We would end it with an electric slide. Just doing <laughs> things that it. Were, right? Just doing things that are natural. Dance what is black healing. Yes. Yeah. Dance is healing. doesn't know the electric slide. Like you guys, you know, I um I learned from um team data about dichos. Like yes. those like things like that, like getting into community where things don't have to be explained. That's where you can heal. Yeah. And you, oh. you know what? Actually, I got that from Amanda Seals, who I adore. And I think she's such a champion and one of my personal champions. Um, her show, Smart, Funny and Black, she before COVID, she would tour with it. And it's this pretty amazing safe space for Black folks. And she was like, everyone's welcome to come, but know your space. Like, this is not for you. You can come be entertained, but this isn't the space for you mm-hmm. to share with us your opinion. And I was like, absolutely. I'm going to support you. I adore you. You're smart, funny, and Black. Um, yes. But I know this is your space and I'm here just to enjoy. So mm-hmm. I think having her explain that in such a way, I was like, absolutely. I get it. it mm-hmm. As someone who isn't Black, as a a uh, Latin woman, as a woman born in Central America, as a Salvadoreña, I didn't feel at all like, oh, what? what? But I'm here too. It's like, no, like, know your, know your space, yeah. know where you're at, respect what she's created for the culture. Mm-hmm. Just like when I create something specific to who I am, then I would expect the same respect. 
Exactly. I love that. I think we were at the same Smart Money in Black in LA. Were we? I think so. God, that was, that was amazing. It was so like, fun. It was with Keenan and Cal. Oh, I was uh, with the woman from A Different World. Oh, uh, yeah. you must have gone. Yeah, the, the later one. I went to the one with Keenan and Cal. It was so good. <laughs> oh, my God. You see, that that exactly what I'm talking about. And I felt healed when I left that night. I mean, just... It's so it's beautiful. Just, yeah, we need more of that. And I think that's what um, the like the um, a lot of Asian Americans or Asian people felt when um, crazy, st- not crazy, stupid love. Oh, my God, I'm butchering it. <laughs> crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> crazy Rich Asians came out. It's like seeing people that look like these non it like it, it's so interesting because like white people get to experience a life of just I mean, pretty much like non-integrate like they. You know, they go to the stores, they see their products, they see all these different things. It is so rare for people who look like you and me to step in a space that feels 100%. We have Absolutely. to create those. Absolutely. And they're, def- they're never created for us, you know. And spoiler created. alert um, to anyone listening, yeah. allies are not welcome in these spaces. This no. the, this is not the space for them. They can't Bless their hearts. Even, yeah. Bless their hearts. We appreciate it. This space is not for you. No. Because it just, it, it, it's actually so interesting to me what I've seen of how it just like, because I've been in some of these integrated spaces that are trying to like, I was in this um, book club discussing white fragility and I just couldn't be myself. Like, I felt like armed, it's not even like armed with like, I don't even feel like I had to teach. I felt like I had to, it's just a different conversation because yeah. when I'm with people, especially Caucasian people, I almost just want to talk about love more than anything else. Like I, I, I don't need to be like pitied and I, and I kind of have trouble with the narrative only being about how black people are suffering, even though we are suffering. I like for us to be the ones kind of carrying that conversation. And it's just so interesting because there is so much joy and there's so much black excellence. And I just, I don't see that at the forefront of those conversations. I see it as a very white man's burden. How can we help? And it's really like, you could just let us be. Absolutely. You, I you agree. Just and tear down all the, you could just listen to us and hear the barriers and not want to ask why or insert your opinion. Like I'm telling you, absolutely. it's a barrier for me to have three strikes before my life is over. Like that doesn't help me. Do you hear me? Abolish it. You know, I'm telling you that the police and all these communities don't help abolish it. Like don't question it. Don't ask, just get rid of it. Right. Yeah. Because today we've never been able to question or ask. And it's like, now we get to, and it's, it's an interesting time. It's an exciting time. I, I actually reference the, this is the, the phrase used in Alcoholics Anonymous where it's, it's like a mm-hmm. one day at a time but for me I'm like a day has too many emotions I'm like one moment at a time <laughs> oh, one moment that. at a time is 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 my go-to because I can't wait for the whole day to be like okay I get a fresh one tomorrow it's like no <laughs> that was a terrible 15 minutes I'm gonna get a fresh 15 next <laughs> yeah oh I love that and that is honestly the core of being really mentally healthy you're giving you're like being okay with the fact that just mental health starts with a lot of truth like 15 minutes can overwhelm me to a point where I need, I, I need like to be refreshed. Like that yeah. affected me and that's being truthful with yourself. And 
that's really all I can, that's just kind of the message I want to spread um, to people is to really figure out what you need and just honor it. So then to what you said earlier, that after you did the electric slide at your circle, that you Yay. felt healed. So mm-hmm. can you help explain what that feeling is? Like, how do we know when it's working? Mm-hmm. You feel good and like you can be in your own body. You know, I think I think it's, I don't know, you know, when you just feel so good like I think it's just like even starting this conversation almost. Day, yeah I'm just I'm just I'm in my happy place I'm not yeah. anxious I'm not wondering if what I said was okay or not you know like I said yeah. what I needed to say I shared my opinions I there wasn't this like odd there weren't these like going through rules about like who talked first and like there's just like all of these like I don't know like being healed means I didn't really have to worry about anything. I was just able to be myself that I was accepted. I, I think love a that. lot of yeah, I think in a lot of these spaces, people, you know, say like, okay, you're accepted, but they don't really accept you, you know? I, I already ran into yeah. kind of an, an issue where I was called aggressive. Story story of a life of a BIPOC woman who is doing the damn thing. Like literally, if I had a dollar for every time that someone said, Karen you come off a little aggressive or your, your personality is just really strong and things of that sort. And that's the thing. It's like, people know me as being kind and smart and funny. I hope I'm leading with funny, but at the same time, I can still be a strong leader who makes tough decisions. But for whatever reason, those two can't, can't coexist. Like you have to be one or the other when in reality, we're complex individuals and being both of these things has gotten me where I am today. And the really, heartbreaking part and we spoke about this um mm-hmm. before it's like when it's members of your own community too saying oh. these things mm-hmm. that that cuts even deeper because mm-hmm. i'm like i'm doing this for us <laughs> yeah it's it's hard and that's the thing it's like everyone is going through their own thing and yeah that that's probably one of the toughest things um to deal with i honestly that hurts and that's where you kind of need to take a breath and you know just expel gratitude. I just think mindfulness is like one of the most important tools for those times and just like really letting go because that's not about you. And it's really important to be able to recognize what's about you and what has nothing to do with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. But it's it just things every time and it doesn't get old. Mm-hmm. And one thing I said about old. this, <laughs> it doesn't get old. Like it's not one of those things that you can just build a callus around. It, it's fresh every time. Yeah. And one of the things I've said about this year is like we keep getting our hearts broken by our community, oh, by our neighbors, by our leaders, like the people that we're supposed to be showing up for us aren't. And it yeah. really sucks because we were living world. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. And it's bad. also... What I've been actually talking to a lot of people about recently, it's a generational thing. Like I've had the fortunate um, um, experience of being in these, um, every time I go to the salon to get my dreads, uh, my locks, sorry, re-rolled. They look gorgeous, by the way. Thank you. I end up in this space with like black women in their 40s and 60s mixed in with people my age in their 20s and 30s. And we have the most interesting conversations. And I think our generation is just much different. But it it kind of it's still some of the thought process in that generation bleeds down. Like, don't be yourself, be this person, like, you know, kind of need to get ahead or this fear. And then sometimes people will see you being authentically yourself and feel like it's a threat. Absolutely. So they're like, no, no, Karen, like 
you know, um, calm down. You're making us look bad. Absolutely. You're, Actually, you're my, talking my too mom. Loud. Yeah, my mom shared this dicho in Spanish, mm-hmm. but the short of it is it's like crabs in a barrel. Yo español, si tú quieres hablar español. I would also butcher her story because her español is perfecto. <laughs> y el mío todavía, no, como no lo hablo todos los días, se me hace un poco raro. Y digo palabras que tal vez no existen. Oh, I love Spanish so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, she gave me this uh, this little dicho of crabs in a barrel that it'd be your own sometimes because the crabs don't let the other crabs go up. The, mm-hmm. the, oh, they... they- they pull them down. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's how it is sometimes. Cause I share with her certain stories and although we're not very close, I didn't grow up with her. Whenever mm-hmm. I see her, nod her head, um, when I'm sharing her stories, I'm like, okay, she gets it. Like yeah. I don't have to fight with her on, on these certain topics because she gets it. Or at least she's agreeing with me and my feelings or, or at the very least she, she's listening. And that's yes. so important to me. Yeah. Um, we touched on this already a bit, but, um, would you be able to expand on how therapy and healing helps the members of the black community in particular? Yeah, I think it's just, but yeah, like I said before, it's a really tough place to be a black person in society because yeah. everything about you is wrong in some ways. It, it just is like the way your hair, I mean, people have been Um, They've lost jobs because of their hair. Like, you know, it took me years to realize that my hair was curly. Like, it's just really curly. It took me years. I quit tennis because of my hair. Like, there's just society. You are like dropped in a society that just like puts, it's a cat, it's almost like a caste system in a way. And, and when you start to realize that even, you know, in a position that I was in where I was, I was getting leads in the school play. Like I was, I was getting, I got scholarships. Like I, I was, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a physician now and people will use your status to say like, it's not that bad for people that look like you. And so there's just so much gaslighting and microaggressions. And for the black community, I mean, we need weekly healing. I mean, for me, I feel like we need to be in a black only space once a week, every Friday night, just to just get off our chest. What happened that week? Why did you comment on my hair when I came to work? Why all of a sudden was everything going well at work, but now this person has come in who doesn't like that I have a little bit of power here? Who's going to make it there? You know, think like, why are all these things happening? And is there a space where I can be with people who know that they're happening and not feel completely insane or cuckoo about it all? So healing for our community is paramount for us to be able to keep walking through. And this is my ignorance talking. Do you think it would apply more so to individuals in predominantly white spaces where we tend to find ourselves? Yes. I feel like it is. Yes. You need it. You need it to stay connected and not feel just have. it shouldn't be in the like you shouldn't spend the majority of your time feeling unwelcomed and different and trying to fit in. Like the point is to get the balance the other way, right? Because like there's just so much black people have to do in addition to just being there. And I mean, one example is just like 2016. Like, yes, 2020 is happening, you know, we're saying their names, but like 2016 happened and it was pretty much just as bad. And people just continue to go to work with no one saying anything. Absolutely. 
So it, for me, yeah. it's, yeah, it's extremely important when you're in these white spaces that are just completely ignoring your whole experience. Like, I mean, can we, there, there's not, there's not avenues for us to call in black, you know, and it, it is. That needs to be a thing. I absolutely think we need those special days off for the black communities. Like you just got to call in black because between everything that's happening in the world and to your point, 2016 was just like this year. We all just happened to be at home with nothing mm-hmm. else to do and have this all extra time on our hands where we've already all baked banana nut bread and made yeah. a coffee whip thing. It's like, now what? Yeah. Now you actually have to pay attention to something that's important because if you don't, you're at full on just took the ignorant mask off and now you're just being a belligerent co-signer to the current administration. Because if you're not doing yeah. anything, you're just co-signing everything they're doing. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. And I honestly think it'll be interesting to look at the data from this, the data from this time period of like, how are Black people doing working from home? And is it better for them to be in their own space more often than not? Like, okay. you know, I, I suspect that it, it it's kind of a healing thing in its own to just not be in a foreign place all the time. So this is actually the perfect segue into talking about your Ubuntu healing circles that you've created. Oh, yes. Please tell us more. I'm so excited to hear more about this because you touched on it a little bit and I can't wait for everyone else to hear about it. Oh my gosh, this is, I'm so excited. So like I was in this white, that white fragility like book club beginning of residency and I brought up the emotional emancipation circles because I, I don't remember something just brought it to the forefront of my mind. And I remember feeling a little uncomfortable during the book club, just not really knowing which side to take or feeling kind of like a caricature. And if I was, I just didn't feel comfortable. And then I thought, wait, like, it'd be great if there was emotional emancipation circle here. So I reached out to the Community Healing Network and they're not doing trainings right now because of COVID. It's something you have to train for. And it is a, it is a culturally sound, like psychologically, like evidence-based um, thing that has, you know, different days and times. Like it is a, it's a whole thing that has been shown to really, really help people in the Black community. But right now they're um, arming people with the resources to do a bunch of healing circles. And so I brought it to one of the only Black psychiatrists um, at Stanford and she just empowered me. She was like, yeah, let's create it. And, you know, what do you want this to be? Do you want this to just be in the residency program? I'm, I'm like, no, I want everyone in the Department of Psychiatry, Behavioral Sciences that is Black to come to this. And I want us to strip ourselves of our titles and just be together. Um, And within a couple of weeks, it's just, you know, it's been created. It's every other week. It's an hour to hour, 30 minute session. Um, All black people in the department. Um, We have a listserv of all black people in the department. I send out emails multiple times a week of like Instagram clips or whatever. And people are feeling more and more comfortable to just come and be who they are. And it, ex- it feels extremely healing for me. I think a lot of us are going through it right now. And I just hope to continue it. I hope to be trained to do EECs in the future. But I just want to create and make this the norm. I want non-integrated spaces to be the norm. And I want them to be um, funded and supported by the department. We got a 10K grant, which was huge. Wow, um, congratulations. So- That's amazing. I just couldn't, believe. it's like every, like the first month of residency, this all happened and it just made me feel really great. And I'm such a powerhouse. Ah. <laughs> well, it's nice because I'm also trying my hat on at facilitating. And I think I've always been someone who 
felt like a leader and wanted to be a leader, but wasn't sure how. And I'm kind of learning that maybe the way I lead is by just creating spaces where people can use their voices. And yeah, and using mine to show people that it's okay. So it's a new thing for me, but it feels so simple. It it feels it feels so easy. Yeah. And no, yeah, and that's how that that's how luck is explained, right? Opportunity means mm-hmm. expect uh, ugh, I just I just lost it. <laughs> Opportunity <laughs> meets meets preparation because I think in terms yes. of all the leadership roles I've been in to date, the one mm-hmm. big takeaway has been that. I already know what I need and I know my strengths and my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And based on that, I can see other people's strengths and weaknesses. And I can then make sure to utilize them to the best of their abilities in a team setting, which I think it's like the biggest takeaway in terms of leadership roles, because at the end of the day, you don't want to be micromanaging anyone. You want to trust these individuals who know what the F they're doing to do it really well because we're all grown grown adults with experience Mm -hmm. and no one needs their handheld. And if they need their handheld, maybe this isn't the right space for them. And that's the thing. It feels what I've noticed about these healing spaces just in the couple weeks we've been doing them is they don't feel infantilizing. Like a lot of the things, these support groups that we get in or the like these You hit it in the nose. Yeah. yeah, sanctioned by these institutions feel very like, okay, this is what we're going to do now. And it's a safe space. Exactly. It's all confidential. And we're going to color this, after this. <laughs> yes. It's like, I don't have to say anything about confidentiality. What stays here stays here. Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. this is, this is our thing. Like there's no need to talk about it. We're talking about it here, bring it here. And so I kind of like that. There's no need for these really white, um, rules to be in the way. Um, so I think that's, that's a lot of it. And it's kind of like, I don't know, the solution is to get away from the whiteness. I agree, because I think even that's been put in place to keep people like us out anyway. Yeah. So, okay, make sure that you sign on the dotted line. You fill out these 13 forms. Yes. You pay this fee. Mm-hmm. You have to be accredited in this way to get into mm-hmm. this room even. And we're like, no, like we're already in the room and we're talking like, what else do we need? What's the problem? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's all these barriers that are placed just to keep us out. It's like, no, we're already yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. We got to switch things up. It's it's very... Yeah. And I, 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 there's just this beautiful Toni Morrison quote that I honestly listen to every morning. My friend shared it with me and she's on Charlie Rose where she's doing an interview and she just says, she talks about white people and this profound neuroses that no one examines. And she pretty much just like nails the head on that. It just has a deletory. So she says it has a deletory effect on the white people almost as much as it does on the black community. And it just kind of goes into like this way of doing things, the forms, the fees, it makes no one feel safe. And absolutely. We just all need to get away from it. So, yeah. So to that same point about taking the mystery and barriers out of things, you have a project called developing doc. Yes, my baby. Please tell us more. My and baby. pull the curtain back, pull the curtain back on the mysteries of becoming a doctor. <laughs> yes, just, you know, I was able to go through this by, you know, developing doc was a play on words. Like I was a developer, a programmer. I was developing as a person and I also developed like film photography. So I always had this name that I kept around. And then I started to think, you know, when I graduated from medical school, I was like, how can I help other people develop into the doctors they want to be? Because Going through the interview season, doing so much in this past year wasn't stressful. I got to be myself and I'm like, 
especially being a person of color, getting to this point in the road, you're like, I'm 2% baby. Like, you know, you're, you're like, you're the rare of the rare. And now you get to talk about what you want and you get to meet people who are doing cool things. And, you know, I, I just felt happy to be in my own skin and to be where I was. But I also recognized that while I was going through the interview process, I couldn't talk to anyone. People going and applying to psychiatry with that USC, we barely talked. I didn't know who was applying places. I didn't know what their experience was. In medicine, you, you, and I saw this with pre-med, everyone is competing against each other. And it's absolutely, oh, it's ugly. There's no camaraderie, really. It's just doggy dog world. Like you either make it or you don't. (laughs) Yeah. And that, I recognize that there is this inherent way that people who are, further along in the process, they don't lie, but they don't let people know what's going to happen in a couple of years. They don't let you know that medical. And that's the reverse of what we're used to. We're used to like, I know something new. Let me share it. (laughs) Let me share it. Let me share it for you. That grad school can be really tough. Like you were probably in your twenties, a tumultuous time. You're going to be like looking for people with the same values as you. You might like, there's all this stuff that happens that for me, developing doc is my way of connecting with people and saying, look, this is what the road to residency looks like. From the day you want to be a physician to the day you match, I'm going to let you what it look, know what it looks like financially. I'm going to let you know what it looks like test-wise. I'm going to let you know what things are going to go through. I'm, I'm going to let you know about it all. That way, we can prepare for it and talk about it and leave it in the open, all for the goal of not being burnt out before you even get your title as MD or DO. Karen, you wouldn't believe the amount of people that are just not happy right as they get their degrees. I, I can only imagine because they think, oh, I'm going to be happy once I get this degree and forget that it's actually about the journey, as cheesy as that is. Mm-hmm. And I oh, forget yeah. that myself too. And I'm like, okay, it's Karen. It's about the journey. Yeah. You're get, you'll get what you need to get. And when you get there, it's not going to be any different than today. Because the idea isn't that all of a sudden you're going to be in this like euphoric moment. You're going to be so elated and Mm. everything's going to turn into rainbows and unicorns. It's like, no, it's going to be a regular old day. Maybe you'll go get a steak dinner. (laughs) Yeah, that's so funny you say that. Because like as a child, I kept like convincing myself that every year, I, I remember I used to think that way. I used to be like, okay, elementary school, no boys like you now. But junior high, people are going to like you. Junior high, no boyfriends here. That's okay. It's their parents. High school. You know, and then I start to be like, wait a minute. You know, and so like, that's the message. And so everyone I work with who wants to be a physician, I'm just like, what do you want to do? What interests you? What do you like to do? Let me find you a physician who does the same thing. If you like to brew beer, I can find physicians who are in a brew beer brewing coalition. Yes, you know? that's so amazing. I love it. Yeah. And that's the thing. It, I, For me, when I thought of a career in medicine when I was younger, back yes. in the day, um, I thought, oh my gosh, it's so intimidating. I'm not even going to go down that route. So then I was like, you know what? I do enjoy architecture. So I was like, I'm going to see what this has. So I explored every um, instance of curiosity in terms of careers. And, you know, I landed where I landed, um, developing products and businesses and working at so many startups has been really exciting. Um, 
But I love what and you're you doing like because you've been true to yourself by getting there, I hope. Absolutely. And I also didn't like the idea of romanticizing because that's what I was doing. I, ro- I was romanticizing every field. I was like, I'm going to be this grandiose architect or this grandiose astronaut. And I was like, self, you know what? If you want to romanticize it, keep it as that in your pocket, because once you go into it, you're not going to walk into architecture and be Frank Gehry. Look at no. this man. He's in his nineties. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's also something that I was able to learn for myself pretty early on. And it, w- it was a huge pivoting point because I thought to myself, happiness isn't a paycheck away, Mm-mm. a title away. Yeah. It's, it's a moment away. And I think yeah. once, once I hit that realization, my whole world changed. Yeah. Cause what it comes down to, like, I, I remember my um, researcher, my PI in college, he would always tell me we worked on like biochemical, like we worked on finding um, an inhibitor to this drug for, for, for uh, cancer therapies. And he would always tell me, look, people are dying. Like we have work to do. And that always brought me back to like, why are we doing this? And the reason why I'm doing developing doc is because about like two to two and a half, like uh, maybe like two medical school classes, about 300 physicians kill themselves. Every year. Wow. So is that mostly dentists? I wonder. Well, well, anesthesiologists is pretty high. It's it's all over the board. Um, Dental dentists do have a high um, suicide rate as well. I haven't looked at the data in this recent years. I think a lot of data comes from like 2016-2019. It's always a couple years behind, but that's the reality. People are going through all of this work, starting with a kernel of hope to help other people. And yeah. end up in a place where they can't help themselves. And you know what's interesting that you say that because one of the things I've come to realize as someone who spends a lot of my personal time digging back into history and sorting out, mm-hmm. you know, it, we say it in Spanish, porque estamos como estamos, it's like how we are mm-hmm. the way we are right now, is I realized that, you know, back to colonization, it's like Native people of this continent were of the mindset of us. It's like, okay, let's meet in the middle 50 50. I'll share mm-hmm. with you my information, you share with me yours, and then we'll live happily ever after. Whereas the colonizers were like, no, 100 for me, zero for you. For so, you. in terms yeah. of, of school, especially, not especially, but since we're speaking mm-hmm. on the medical field, that's the same mentality. It's like, this is my information, I'm going to keep it. I can't yeah. share it because if I share it, then you'll take it. And it's all for me. It has to be yeah. online. Whereas we come into these spaces and we're like, amazing new information. It's going to help somebody else. I got to walk through this door that was bolt locked. Now I'm going to not just keep it open, but put a hinge on it. So it never closes again. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's a whole different type of mentality. And I really believe that, you know, even as young medical students, as young pre-med students, you can perp- like you can um, perpetuate the culture. Absolutely. And so my thing is like, how, like, I just want to talk to everyone at the beginning stages, middle stages, whatever stages to get that light bulb to go off of, like, you're only competing against yourself and you would <sighs> be much happier if you could just, those are some golden words. Yeah. Golden words right there. You're only competing with yourself at the end of yeah. the day. Yeah. Yeah. Because no one is going to do. Yeah. Yeah. No one's doing what you're doing the way you're doing it. Cause there yeah, could be another I, doctor who's also in tech, but they're not going to do it the way you're doing it. Exactly. And and I can tell you time and time again, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're these things, but you have to tell yourself, like, you got to get truthful with yourself and ask yourself, 
I, I just appreciate the truth. And I actually, this is a whole other story. Maybe we'll do part two, but <laughs> I would love in, to do a part two. <laughs> yeah, there came a time in med school where I just said, I'm not actually that happy. So I took a year to do research, really just to yeah. reconnect. Cause I was like, if I'm not happy, how can I help others? Like, it's one thing to, you know, feel a little unhappy and you just have to take tests. But when you get into patient care, it's like, who, who do I want to be? Who, like, what's the point? Um, and Absolutely. so, yeah. And also, mental health takes, takes the lead there because people tend to forget that we talk to ourselves more than anybody else. So when yep. we're telling ourselves, oh, I look terrible. Oh, I feel terrible. Like, oh, like I'm always broke. It's like people forget, like you're hearing yourself say these things. Oh, you're so hearing yourself you big time. Yeah. So people forget. It's like, you're not just saying these things. You're hearing them and they're going into your brain. So your brain's going to be like, oh, yeah, we're always broke. It's like, no, yeah. it's like you yeah. should be rephrasing those things. Like I'm working to be so much better at my finances. I'm working to be so much better mm-hmm. at taking care of yourself, et cetera, et cetera. But oh my goodness, Katita, this has been so beautiful and healing. Yeah, I love <laughs> and it. Healing. I feel the same. I feel the same. It's so amazing. We definitely need to have a part two. Um, but Anytime. before you go, I do have a little momento called Cinco Estrellas, which uh-huh. translates to five stars. As you know, you're Espanol. Um, is there yeah. something that you're feeling particularly fond of as of late that you would want to yeah. give Cinco Estrellas to? Yes, um, it is called Shine. It is a Black-owned app, um, a meditation app called Shine. And I've been doing it every morning, the daily Shine. And I've been journaling my gratitude and my mood. And I just love it. I think if you want to support the Black community, download Shine. I'll add it to the show notes. I'll I'll put a bunch of links on the show notes because you shared so much amazing information. I'll be sure to add it on there. It's I will definitely download it because I've been on the fence about certain apps, but I'm like, you know what? This sounds amazing. Um, I actually will give Cinco Estrellas to Gopi Shah, which is a ceramics maker out of Long Beach. She made this beautiful tumbler and I'll put the link up on the show notes as well. Look how beautiful it's got like little bun ladies and they kind of look like me. How beautiful. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, that's your cup. And I bought two just in case because um, someone whose name I will not mention tends to break a lot of our, <laughs> our dishes. I'm like, I'm going to get two just in case. But yeah, she's amazing and makes a bunch of custom pieces along with her usuals. That. This one in particular is beautiful. It's Gopi Shaw, GopiShaw.com. She's also on Instagram. I'll put the link on the show notes as well. What can I say? I love it. I love this, it. This has been beyond words fantastic. My expectations were pretty high, I got to say. Yes. But we we went even over my expectations. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this just felt really, really great. And I'm just, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy. And if anyone wants to talk further, like part two, part three, I will be happy to come on here Amazing. anytime. Sounds good. All right, well, thank you so much. Be sure to follow at Team Data on all social platforms. That's at T-E-A-M-D-A-Y-D-A. I'd love to hear your feedback and any topics you'd be interested in hearing. You can send your emails to hello at teamdata.com. Be sure to listen in every Wednesday on your favorite podcast platform, including YouTube, for those who appreciate closed captions. Gentle reminder to rate and review the podcast. Five stars only. Thanks, friends, fans, and fam. Until next time.